Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Bridgepoint Church. Stay tuned after the podcast for a short message, but for now, let's jump right in. Well, good morning. How's everybody feeling today? Good? Feeling rested and relaxed after fall break? Man, I hated that I missed being uh, here with you guys last week, but I'm excited to be back with you. Today is a very special day for a couple of reasons. The first one is this. Uh, many of you know that we are part, as a church, we're part of a group called ARC, the Association of Related Churches. And so what that means is there are six founding churches who pool all their money um, and they're giving to cover all the admin costs of the organization. And then for every other church, Church who gives money to them, they give that directly to help people start brand new churches all over the world. So when you guys give every week, a portion of that giving goes to help launch these brand new churches. And today is a very special day because every week we're launching new churches, but uh, special at least for me and my family because this morning uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law are having the very first service of Region Church up in Providence, Rhode Island. And so they're probably already having service right now. And so that's a part of your generosity. You are helping that happen. And so what I'd like for us to do this morning before we go any further, just say a prayer of blessing over that new church community and over them as leaders that we would just see God show up and do some incredible things. So let's just pray together. God, we're just so thankful uh, for Leslie and for Hannah and their leadership and their obedience to you. And I pray today as they're opening their doors for the first time that there would be people who uh, maybe they've never stepped foot into a church or maybe it's been years. Uh, Maybe uh, they've walked away from you or maybe they're just looking for a community of believers that whatever it is, God, you would meet people right where they're at, that you would minister to them, they would experience you and their lives would be forever changed. And I pray that it wouldn't just be about today in this service, but for the years in the future of continued faithfulness, ministering to Providence, Rhode Island. So God, would you bless them? Would you give them peace? Would you change lives this morning? In your name I pray, amen. Well, ma'am, the other reason I am excited today is because we are launching a brand new series. Before we do that, can we just give it up for our student director, Keith, as he closed out the, the series last week? I did a phenomenal job. You know, this series is uh, special to me because this one has been several years in the making. Uh, Now, let me kind of establish expectations from the beginning. I have not been crafting these messages for years, okay? So don't expect the best sermon you've ever heard, okay? Let's just lower the bar here. Uh, but what I mean is, as a church, we've been working over the last few years to bring us to a point where, where I think this series is going to be foundational for where we go as a church in the future. Uh, in fact, I think we'll be pointing people back to this series year after year after year to kind of get caught up on some of the basics of, of as a church, what do we believe? And because it is so foundational, you'll notice that we have a text-in number on the screen. So for every message in this series, if you have questions, and hopefully you have a few, um, that you can actually text those in, and I've set aside some time at the end of every service to be able to address those questions that you guys have, and then for any we don't get to, we have a whole Q&A week at the end of this series, so we can circle back around and hit those. Um, Now, we have done this before, so first important point, we changed the phone number, so if you have it saved in your phone, don't text some random person your question about God. That's going to confuse them, so make sure you have the correct phone number. 
But the other thing that we're going to do, we're trying this out, and it may be a little awkward, but we're just going to lean into the awkwardness. Um, at the same time um, that I'm addressing any texting questions, we'll have somebody floating around the room with a microphone. And so if you have a question at the end, just raise your hand. Uh, we'll come over, and I will tell you, you're not allowed to touch the microphone. Uh, and it's not because I don't love you, but I know everybody has a 40-minute preface to every question that they have. And so we just want to make sure that we honor everyone's time. And so there will be space for that at the end of every service during this series. Um, but really what we're going to be talking about over the next six to seven weeks in this series, we're looking at what is the overall story that the Bible is telling. And the reason I think that this is so important is because I think that you go to just an average, ordinary person who's been in church for years. Maybe they've even read their Bible cover to cover. They've led Bible studies before. And if you were asked them, what is the story the Bible is telling? They, they might give you an answer, something like this. Well, the Bible tells us that, that all of us are sinners and that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so we could go and be with him in heaven forever. Now, while there's parts of that story that are true, that is only a portion of the story that the Bible is telling. Like, what the Bible is getting at is this point that is greater than that. It's bigger than that. It's beautiful. It's about how God wants to renew all of creation. And yes, he invites us into that, but that's only a smaller part of the larger story. I've used this example before, but um, many of you know I, I like to cook, and, and one of the ways I cook is, is I like to smoke meats. You know, you have to preface it with I like to cook, because when the pastor says I like to smoke, people get the wrong idea. Uh, so I love barbecue, especially in the fall when the weather's dropping, so I like to have people over, let's watch football together. And man, if I was telling you my process, I could tell you how it all starts at the grocery store. You got to pick the right cut of meat, right? You got to make sure the right amount of fat is on it. And then, then what you got to do, I'm going to brine it overnight. We're going to get it all nice and flavorful. And then the next morning when I get up, I'm going to go ahead and fire up the smoker. And then I have a proprietary blend of seasonings that I will put on that have been perfectly curated to give the best bark and the best flavor. I could tell you how I will smoke it. I can tell you how long to rest the meat after it comes off the smoker so it can absorb all the juices. We can talk about how we're going to pull it, how we're going to serve it. Pro tip, if you ever serve barbecue, serve it with buns because people will put less on the plate and then you have more for leftovers later. People always put, you want to pile a whole thing of barbecue on there, you're not going to eat all of it, right? Just put it on a bun, it'll be fine. Now we could talk about all this and the meals we've had and the people we've had over and, and if what you got out of that is, did you know Matt has a special blend of spices he uses on his barbecue? While that might be true, that totally misses the point of what I'm trying to communicate. And while it's true that, that Jesus came and he died to defeat sin and death, and he has made a way to, for us to be with God forever, that's such a small part of the grander story. And the sad thing is, what that does is that version of the story puts all the focus on me. What do I get out of what Jesus did for me? I become the hero and the focal point of the Bible. And while the Bible speaks to me, it is not about me. It is about God. It's about Jesus. It's about his work in the world. And man, it is such a beautiful, revolutionary story. And he is inviting us to be a part. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look at what is the story the Bible is actually telling. 
uh, I think one of the most helpful ways for us to think about this story is that the Bible is a story in six different acts. So you've heard of like a one-act play or a three-act play. There's six different acts or movements throughout the Bible. So I just want to give you the overview right off the top. That act one starts with creation. By the way, I think that's important to note because sometimes when you think about the Bible, we start with sin. But that's not where the Bible starts. It gives us a picture of God's intended design for his creation. But then, yes, in Act 2, quickly we move into the fall. And that is where sin and death do enter into the world. But in Act 3, we get to know the nation of Israel. See, I think, again, it's so important. Because if the Bible is simply a story about how you get to heaven when you die, then you just might as well rip out half of the Old Testament, because why on earth does this apply to me? And what we're going to see is there is so much of what God has done through Israel that is relevant and applicable to our lives today. And then we get to Act 4, which is all about Jesus. And see, Jesus becomes the culmination of, of Israel and everything that's happened before that. And then Act 5, I love this one. This is where we play a part. It's the church. And see, we're actually playing a part in the work that God is doing in the world. And then the culmination, the only act we have not experienced yet in history is Act 6, and that's new creation. We're even going to look at how the Bible ends and what it talks about. And by the way, we did a whole series going through the book of Revelation, what it is, what it is not. That was about a year and a half ago, so you can check that out on our website or on our YouTube page, because I can only fit so much in one sermon, right? Like sometimes you got to have a whole series to unpack each of these ideas. But we're just going to go through each of these acts one at a time. And so kind of the, the difficult part of this is, you know, sometimes we're going to, you know, today we're going to talk about Act 1, which is creation. And some of you are going to want to jump ahead. Let's talk about the fall. Or, or can we jump ahead to talk about Jesus? And, and man, th- those are great things. But we're going to try our best to, to un- discover what does each act say for us today. And so when, when we talk about creation, the easy thing to do is we're just going to start on page 1 of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now, if you've been around church long enough, you know that there are debates going back centuries on, okay, Genesis chapter 1, talking about how God created the world. Did God create the world in seven literal days? Did he uh, create the world over a period of time? And there's all of these questions we have about the beginning of creation. But see, when we read the Bible, we have to be very, very careful. Because we have to remember the number one rule of reading your Bible is to understand the context. Everybody say context. Okay, so, so here's what that means. You know, some of you are like, Matt, you know, you, you know all this stuff about, you know, the, the background and the stuff. And, and by the way, I don't know that because I'm smart. Like, that's my job. I just, I get paid to read a lot, and I love it. It's my, my introvert self loves uh, what I do. Uh, but when we ask ourselves about context, really the baseline question we need to ask ourselves is, what was the original author trying to communicate? Because every author in the Bible has an agenda. They're trying to communicate something. But if we try to get the text to answer questions that it's not trying to answer, what we're going to realize is we've constructed a totally different story. I think to to illustrate this point, I want to show you guys a trailer from a Scandinavian horror film that was released a few years ago. And I think as you watch this clip, you'll understand what I mean about context.
So how many of you have seen that movie before? It's, it's the movie Frozen, right? Some of you might be thinking, that looks like a better version of the movie than the actual one. Uh, but man, if you have young kids, you've seen this movie a million times, and you know it is nothing like a horror story, right? I mean, this is, you've got a dancing snowman who's singing songs for half the movie. But what you can do for anything is you can take selected clips, and you can put them out of order, and you can tell an entirely different story. And I think the danger when we come to the Bible is that we will pick and choose different selections. We will put them together to tell a story the author never intended. I think that's so important for us to understand because in Genesis chapter 1, we might come with all of these scientific questions, but the original author of Genesis is not writing a science textbook. That's not the question that the author's trying to handle. What the author's trying to do is give a, a theological perspective of who God is, what is his purpose of creation, and how do people fit into that? Are we tracking so far? And so we have to read the, the Genesis chapter 1 text with the question, what theological point is the author trying to communicate? And with that in mind, let's jump in to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. There was an evening and there was a morning one day. So these are the opening lines of the Bible. And I want us to pay careful attention here because sometimes we think, well, the author's trying to get us to understand where did all the material things in the world come from. But notice how it begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. I love the way one Bible scholar, Tim Mackey, translates it, wild and waste. Because in the original Hebrew, it's not saying there wasn't anything there, but it was all chaotic and disorderly. In fact, it said the, the spirit was hovering over the surface of the waters, right? Like there was something there. The waters always represented chaos in ancient cultures. And what God does is out of the chaos, he begins to bring order. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that there's kind of six days of creation. Then on the seventh day, God rests. But did you know that this pattern that the, the author describes is not a pattern that's unique to the Bible? I mean, this is where I'm relying on people who are a lot smarter than I am. And by the way, at the end of each uh, message, I'm going to have some recommended resources if you're curious to discover more about this kind of stuff. But this kind of pattern of, of six days and then rest on the seventh was a very common pattern for ancient temple ceremonies. So when a new temple was built, you'd have instructions. Here's the different rooms. Here's the different arenas. And then the next part would be, here's what goes in those arenas. And then on the last day, the God would rest inside the temple. The God's spirit would fill up the temple. We actually see this in the Old Testament. We see it in ancient documents from communities that surrounded the Jewish community itself. Say, well, what does this have to do with the text? I want to point something out, and I think we've talked about this before, but, but notice the order of creation. In day one, God separates the light from the dark. So he's creating two different arenas. Then in day two, he separates the water above 
from the waters below. That's another arena. And then in day three, he separates the land from the waters. He talks about pulling the land out of the water. So you have all these different arenas. All right, we're tracking so far. I got my visual aids this morning. Now notice what happens on day four. God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. He's populating that first room or arena that he created. In day five, he has the water creatures and the air creatures that are populating the arena or the room he created before. And in day six, he creates the land animals, which populates the arena that he had done before. Do you see how this kind of fits and flows together? Very common way to describe the construction and the blessings of ancient temples. And then on day seven, God rests. But before he rests, we kind of reach the the, the climax of the creation story. What was the last thing that God created? Anybody? Man, right? Adam and Eve, the last things that God created. But I want you to pay attention to the wording that the Bible uses to describe Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. It actually talks about God creating Adam and Eve in his image. It's very important for us to understand what an image of a God is because what this does not mean is that God's walking around with fingers and toes like you and me, especially because you can get in some weird stuff where it's like, well, male and female, so what is God's body looking like? Like, that's not the point the author is trying to make. But in that culture, inside of a temple, they would oftentimes place an image that, that would rule and reign in the temple on God's behalf. In fact, this blew my mind. In some ancient cultures in this area, on the final day, they would actually take these sculptures, these images of the God. The priests would go in and breathe on their lips to symbolize that God's spirit filling the image. And then anything you did in the temple was facilitated by that image of God. So so that image of God was the one who facilitated sacrifices and would send your prayers up. Like this was someone who was ruling and reigning in the temple on that God's behalf. And here you have Adam and Eve being made in the image of God. See, the image doesn't have to do with physical appearance. It has to do with your vocation. What is your calling? Because an image was supposed to live and work in the temple on their God's behalf. Now, if if God's describing his temple as the entire world, then his plan was that his presence, his glory would fill the entire world, and yet he was going to use Adam and Eve. He was going to use his images to facilitate worship, to do the work of ministry, and he even gives them tasks like subdue the, the world, like continue bringing order out of the chaos. And see, I think this is so important for us to understand because for me, understanding that the image of God is a calling on our lives radically reshapes the way we see people. Because a lot of times as Christians, we talk a lot about being pro-life, and absolutely. But have you ever considered why we should be pro-life? A lot of people say, what's the difference between humans and animals? 
And a very common response is, well, humans have greater ability to reason and to think, and we're not given to our emotions and urges, to which I would respond, some people maybe, but not a lot of people. But then that begs the question, well, what about people who are born with disabilities, who do not have a higher ability to reason or to think, or people who can't survive on their own? See, see, the reason that we care about life is not because of a function people have, but because of who we are at our core. We are all people created to minister and to work in the world on God's behalf. And so whether you have disabilities or you don't, whether you are rich or whether you are poor, regardless of your gender, your ethnicity, God has created you to be his image. Now, some people are not living out that image, and we're going to talk about that next week. But this is why Jesus says things like, like, bless your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Love people. Even when they are not living out their image of godness, like we respect all life because everyone was created to reflect God's glory into the world. Are we still tracking? All right, because I know some of you love this Bible nerd stuff where we can get in and we can geek out. And some of you are like, can you please just tell me what the whole point of this is? Because there is a point. Because if you and I are created in the image of God, then that reshapes the way we live and act and, and move in the world. So what does an image of God do? I love the description that the author of Genesis gives us in chapter 2, starting in verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and to watch over it. Notice those two words, to work and to watch. Now, in the Hebrew, these are two very specific words, and they appear together multiple times throughout the Bible, but only when talking about priests. And who are priests? Priests are the ones who live in the temple, and they do what God wants them to do. You and I are all priests. We, we are ministers. And see, I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make oftentimes is we think, well, Matt, what you do, you're the minister here. No, no, like I have this weird uh, calling where I get to teach you guys, but by this, what we're doing here, this is not ministry here. This is teaching here, which is a good thing. But ministry is what we have all been called to do. And one of the biggest disservices we make to our students is we, we look at those who are the best and the brightest and obviously have a lot of gifting and talenting and say, you know what you should do with all that? You should go to Bible college so you can stand on a stage every week. And I wonder if what we need is less pastors on a stage, what we need is more ministers in a cubicle. What we need is more teachers who are living out their calling in the school place. We need more parents who recognize that raising kids is a ministry that God has given you. That whether you're an accountant or a lawyer, we all have a greater calling on our lives. It's what theologians have called vocation. Because it's not a job, right? Like, you know, your calling and your job aren't the same thing. Like, maybe for some of you, like, I remember having a lot of jobs that I did not feel like was my calling, it's hard to feel like an eternal purpose behind being a delivery driver for a lighting company, right? Like, like, okay, this doesn't feel like I'm really doing anything. But see, all of us have a calling, and the calling is to work and what? Watch. So I want to talk about those two words for just a moment. The first one is work. That's important for us to know. Like, work, that is not punishment for sin, 
right? Like, like this is before sin enters the world. Work is a gift to us from God. It is the calling that he has given us. And what is the specific kind of work? Was to continue what God was doing, bringing order from chaos, bringing out beauty out of ugliness, bringing out light from the dark. This is the kind of work that God has called us to. Now, what you'll understand or what you'll probably pick up real quickly is that that kind of work is not dependent on a career that you have. That kind of work does not matter what your job entails, but this kind of work, this kind of ministry can be done no matter what. Or there's a company I worked for where the, the technical title, I was the inventory control manager, which really meant I just ordered the stuff and unloaded it from the truck when it came in. Like, that was kind of my job. And I remember I sat in a converted, like, it was, it was an office that was actually a closet. Like, I had, like, every plug in the office plugged in right next to my desk and kind of sit there, and I'm ordering stuff. And, and really the only interaction I ever had with other people was when the delivery drivers would come to drop stuff off. And so I was really wrestling with, well, well how can I take, take this job but really use it for my calling? Because I know my calling, I have a heart for people, and I really want to help people um, in their relationship with God and even in their relationships with other people. And so what I decided to do was um, I'm just going to have a cooler with some drinks and some snacks so when the delivery drivers drop their truck off, you know, they're not unloading the stuff. You know, I got to unload it. So they sit there. They're a captive audience. So I gave them snacks, and then I got to learn about the lives of these people I saw two or three times a week. I had to learn how one of them had a son who was actually a player in the NFL. And we got to bond and connect over that. There was another one who was getting close to retirement. And he had this whole barbecue business like set up and ready to go. And man, I really just got an opportunity to, to talk to people who never would set foot in this church. I got to minister to people that I will never get to minister to right now. But just because I'm trying to figure out how do I live out my calling regardless of my job. The beautiful thing about this is that, like, my whole family, they're teachers. And, you know, as teachers, they have an opportunity to really bring some order where there is chaos. Because you never know the students who are walking into your classroom, what kind of family background are they coming out of? What kind of issues are they dealing with? Even, like, are there special needs issues that they can help with? And they have done so much ministry over the years, and they may not even think of it as ministry. It's just who they are and what they do. You're a stay-at-home parent. Like that—that's a calling. Maybe not everybody is called to do that, but I remember watching my wife when our kids were really little, and and the same thing day after day, right? Changing diapers. Like your whole schedule revolves around nap time. Like that—that doesn't always feel like the most rewarding and filling in that moment. But to realize that that every day that passes, what you're doing is you're actually raising people to actually live out their image of Godness. I think it was Andy Stanley who said something of the effect that the great, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Like you can be an accountant. And trust me, accountants certainly bring order where there is chaos. But man, even in being an accountant, maybe that's your job, but you have a calling and a passion for music or for art, which by the way, bringing out beauty in the world, that is something that we are called to do. Regardless of our job, we have work. We have a ministry that God has called us to do. You are ministers, and we're called to work in the world. Now, not only are we called to work in the world, we're also called to watch over it. We're supposed to care for it. 
And I know that sometimes people get a little frustrated because uh, somehow uh, caring for the earth has become this like hot-button political topic. But it doesn't have to be that way. Like, we are called to care for the world. Like that's one of the first commandments that we have. Now, what form does that take? This is where I think our creativity can be really beautiful and we can come up with, with new and creative ways. Well, uh, no, uh, several weeks ago, one of our dream teamers, a guy named Jonathan Griggs. If you know Jonathan, he serves with our students, so be praying for him. And uh, he serves on our tech team here. But he noticed that there's a lot of these plastic water bottles that just get left behind or thrown in the trash every week. And he said, well, what if we just started recycling them? Yeah, that's a great idea. And so we get those blue recycling canisters that are out in the, the lobby area, which, by the way, PSA, like, try to put your empty water bottles in there. Uh, but the, the beautiful thing is you might look at that and say, Matt, is that really going to change the world? Is that really going to do anything? And see, that's where I think sometimes we get it all wrong. Like, we, we confuse effectiveness for faithfulness. God hasn't called us to be effective. He's called us to be faithful. He hasn't called us to change the world. He's called us just to be responsible for what he's asked us to do. I know with my kids all the time, I have to tell them, you don't need to worry about what your brother's doing. Just worry about what I've asked you to do. And listen, God isn't going to judge us based on how much we change the world. Because guess what? He's going to do that. He'll take care of that part. He's going to judge us on our faithfulness to him. And if faithfulness looks like recycling some water bottles, I'm thankful that 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 is a good example of faithfulness. He's not asking me to die. I could recycle. But it could be even beyond that. And we could think about ways like, um, you know, convincing our children that they don't need to take hour and 15-minute showers, right? Like there's so many different beautiful ways we can think about caring for creation. But this is a mandate that we have to watch and care for the world. So I've kind of set all this up. Hopefully you guys have some questions. So I'm going to go ahead and throw it over. Do we get any text in questions? This is where I stall for time and just see what's going on. All right. Does anybody in the room have a question? Feel free to raise your hand and we'll be around with a microphone. Man, I did a great job teaching today. Anybody got questions? All right. We got one here in the back. So go ahead. We got a question. I was just curious, uh, most scholars, who wrote Genesis? All right, so that's a great question. The, what the most popular belief is that uh, Moses wrote it. What is likely true is that it's been compiled over the years and different stories and traditions that have been passed down with large sections recorded by Moses. But there may be other editors who have thrown stuff in there as well. So great question. Anybody else have questions? See, it's fun to ask questions. We should probably call it question and response. I don't know if I'm going to give you a full answer here. I'm going to give you a response. You can go dig. I always believe with God and Google, there's nothing that you can't learn. And so I'm just going to try to point you in the right direction here. Any other questions? All right. All right, good. Well, that's fine. Take that number down. If you think of a question on Tuesday night, feel free to text it in. Because like I said, we're going to compile these questions. We'll have a whole uh, Q&A or Q&R week at the very end. Um, But I think it's so important for us to understand that being made in the image of God is about how we work and how we care for the world. Now, I do want to give you those recommended resources that I talked about earlier. Because listen, I can't remember if I said, is this service or last service? Anything smart I say is from somebody very smart. Like I'm just... (laughs) 
I'm channeling other smart people. So here's a couple resources I want to point you towards. The first one is a book called The Lost World of Genesis 1 by John Walton. Um, This is not The Lost World Jurassic Park. Okay, if you're expecting dinosaurs, probably a different book. Um, But John Walton is a um, scholar actually out of Wheaton College. Um, And this is a, um, I hate the terms they use, but it's a popular level book of his academic scholarly work. Um, We play this game that my wife hates where um, if I'm reading one of those boring academic book say can I read you a paragraph out of this and see what this means to you and she said no I don't I don't want to do that um, but he actually wrote this book he condensed a lot of his academic so it's very accessible to read so I know academic people they don't come up with the most creative titles all right so but but this is fantastic book all about that temple that the world is God's temple he goes straight through that um, there is a website called the Bible project and they have these amazing videos. This is where that, that scholar I referenced earlier, Tim Mackey, he and, and um, one of the guys that he works with, several years ago, what they had read is that people retain knowledge better when it's not just communicated verbally, but when it's communicated visually as well. And so they have all of these three to five minute videos that are on like good theological topics that they animate. And it really does, like it helps you remember things when you see how stuff plays together. So they do stuff like overviews of books of the Bible, But if you go to their YouTube channel or you go to their website and you just type in something like creation or temple, they have videos there. And that's all free. You can get seminary-level education for free five minutes at a time. You cannot beat that. That, That's my inner Bible nerd coming out right there. The last one is a book called Garden City by John Mark Comer. He's a pastor out of uh, Portland, Oregon. And that book is all about what it means um, to work and care for the world. All of that calling stuff that we have talked about. And his book is like very accessible. He wrote it as a pastor so that his people would be able to read and dive deeper on that topic. And so, listen... I recommended a book to somebody. Um, They handed it back to me and said, I disagreed with something in this book. Totally great. The goal is not for you to agree with everything, but for you to be able to have those conversations. I think sometimes uh, pastors can be afraid, like, is this too much? Man, I just think, I think you guys can handle it. You guys were voted smartest church ever by Smart Church Weekly. I don't know if you guys knew that. So, um, but, but, but feel free to dive into that even more. But Man, I think about something like this, and it's so easy for me to get caught up in, oh man, look at how all of the story lines up and like all the deep theology, but um, theology that we don't live out is meaningless, right? Like there's theology that we believe, but then there's another theology that we live. It'd be a shame if we could read books and get all this great theology, but it doesn't actually change who we are. So here's the crazy thing though. I realized like I can't change anyone. I can't even change myself. Right? You ever do things, you're like, why am I still doing this? Same? Why, why do I still lose my temper? Why do I still have these same thoughts? Like, like, I can't change myself, but there is someone who can change us, and that's Jesus. That's why every week here at Bridgepoint, we just continue in worship through a time of communion. And so as we have communion in just a moment, what I want you to do is just spend a moment and ask Jesus, like, Jesus, where do you want me to work? Like, we're not talking about a job, but like, where is there disorder where you want me to bring order? Where's there darkness that I can bring light? Where do you want me to bring beauty into this world? You know, maybe he's calling you into being a foster parent. Maybe he's calling you just to be more mindful of the neighbors around you, the kids walking into your classroom, the people in the office next to you, whatever it is. What, what does it look like to work? But then also ask him, and what does it look like to watch over creation?
Is there something that you want? How can I better care for your creation? I think if we come to Jesus with those questions and with open hands, he'll speak, he'll move, and he'll help us become more like him. So all across this room, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Jesus, I'm so thankful that you have called us to a life that goes beyond the Monday to Friday. That you have called us to a life where we don't just have to be looking forward to the next weekend, but we can wake up every day excited because we are working for you. And so I pray for reminders that we are ministers on your behalf. I pray for open eyes that we would see how you're already at work in the world and you would give us the boldness and the courage to join in. I pray in whatever way that we need to faithfully fulfill the call of being your image, that you would bring that to mind right now. And God, that we wouldn't do this because we're trying to change the world or trying to be moral people. But we just want to be faithful to you. So Jesus says, we meet with you now. Would you meet with us and help us to become more like you? It's in your name I pray. Amen. As you feel led, you can take communion. Thanks for listening to the Bridgepoint Church Podcast. I hope we've shared something meaningful for you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little bit more about us, we meet on Sunday mornings in downtown Woodstock, but we also meet during the week in what we call life groups, and that's where the really good stuff happens for us. If you're becoming a regular listener of this podcast, we'd like to invite you to make it relational, just like we do during the week. Grab a Bible, invite some friends to join you, and turn this into a conversation. If you're already a regular listener and would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting us online at bpc.life and choosing the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening.